chapter 6. We're going to look at many passages again on this, in this sermon series, this first sermon series by me called First Things First. And so we're going to look at several passages. I want us to look at Deuteronomy 6 to begin with, beginning in verse 4. We're just going to look there in just a minute. And a few things that I want to mention at the beginning. Last, one of the things that you always face in a service, and because we live in a, a fallen world with fallen things, including falling or failing mics and and all of that. Last week we had a, a lapel mic, and it wasn't the fault of the tech guy, Jason, in the back. It was actually a short in the in, in the mic, and that always happens with those type of mics. They get taken off and on, and they, they're set down, and they just wear up pretty quickly. And so we have pulpit mic here today. And so if, if God, we, we'd like to replace it with a good quality mic, and if God provides over and above sometime, we'd like to get that. And if God puts that in your heart, the gift towards that, um, that would be a blessing as well. But I was reminded that we we're, we live in a world where things happen, mistakes happen, and it's okay because God in His grace comes and He works. I was driving home last Sunday after church with my nine-year-old son, and he said, he said, you had a problem with your mic there, Dad. And I said, yeah. He goes, doesn't that kind of hurt your image? And I said, I said, it shouldn't. I, I said, but it could. It could, it could really help. I could struggle with pride. And he said, he said, I guess it's kind of like a quarterback that throws a lot of interceptions. He said, he needs to just get back up and keep playing the game. Because I teach him about how to keep composure in, in a pressure situation. And I, I thought that was humorous. And... And I'm thankful for God's grace. And as we go into God's Word, I pray that through the months, years, decades that we have, times where mics fail, things happen, we say, God, would you continue to work? God, help us to fight against distractions and get hungry to your Word. So I want us to see a very important passage, a passage that has been for not just two, two millennia in the the history of the church, but throughout God working in the people of the Israelites, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want you to hear this because our theme is first things first, and I'm taking seven weeks before we get into the book of Colossians, and in November, late November, we're going to be getting into Colossians, but for seven weeks, we are looking at seven important foundational themes, first things first. Keeping the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. And we want to do that here at Faith, and I want to do that, and the deacons want to do that. The pastors want to do that. And the, last week we looked at the all-important reality that the Bible is the standard for all things and all practice. Not only is it the standard of all things, it is our life source of all things. In many ways, it is, it is what brought us into existence by the very living and abiding Word of God. In fact, I really believe God's do, God can do, does miracles in this room in this hour. In, in a sermon that might be good or might not be good, His Word coming out and doing amazing things when we did 
person across the aisle that you know needs praying for praying for yourself. As we say, God, would you do that? And this week we are going to, we see, and I want us to see that God's word, which is the authority for all things, points us to the author of that word. In reality, God is more important than God's word, but we don't know God's God. We don't know who he is or what he has said, what he wants us to know about him apart from his word. And so the Bible is a standard for all things and all faith and all practice and all of life and all love. But God's word shows us God. And God's word shows us God and reveals us God. And it reveals to us the importance of knowing him, loving him, and what the Westminster Confession Christians centuries ago said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I believe that is not just a statement that is merely written by man, but is reflected in the pages of Scripture. The pages that God has revealed in truth to us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If we are going to be a healthy church, if we are going to be a faithful church, if we are going to be a healthy people and a faithful people and impacting people, we need to keep these truths dear and central. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Moses wrote these down. God spoke to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them when you, you shall teach them these words, you will teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Then I want you to see a passage that you may or may not be familiar with at the end of Romans 11. In Romans 11, beginning in verse 33 through 36, I'm going to refer to here later on. Paul is talking about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ now, coming in transforming the world. I mean, history is being turned upside down because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that he is revealing his mystery to Israel and to the church in, in Romans 9 through 11. And then so God ends, or Paul ends this by saying, Oh, the depth of the riches 
and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, how unscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been made His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's try it one more time. This is the word of the Lord. God, I pray that you would bless us. We need, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would, this morning, right now, just open our eyes and then give us taste buds that we so desperately hunger for God. For those here this morning that don't desire God at all, do not desire you, I pray that there would be a welling up in our heart to desire you and make it our life's quest to seek you with all our heart. For those that do, but God, would you fan the flame to make it brighter and stronger and hotter? I pray that we as a church would be so committed to glorifying you and loving you and seeing your bigness and displaying that to this community and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we're going to look at seven topics. I'm just going to list them here, but then I want to move into this first, this second topic. We're going to see the Word, God, the Gospel, our mission, fellowship, prayer, and leadership. We're going to look at those in the next five weeks after this. But I want to look at God. I want to look at the subject of God. It's a big subject. We could spend months on this subject. We could spend years on this subject. And so I'm only bringing one sermon to that right now to bear. And I pray that God would use that in our lives as we start out this new chapter. But I want you to think on the concept of God this morning. The concept, the importance of what we do here on Sunday morning is all about God. The fact that you are sitting here this morning is all truly about God. God has made you, and He keeps you, and we're going to see that here. One of the most important things about the church, I should say, vital to the church, and vital to an individual, your life and mine, whether you are living here in the Fenton, Linden area or surrounding area or you're heading off to Dubai or you are heading off to some other area, is your view of God, the way you in your very wiring, your own mind, you respond to God when you hear news from Facebook that so-and-so lost a young one. When you get that phone call and you hear that devastating news. Your view of God immediately impacts it. You have a view of God. depends on what your view of God is. This transforms everything about how we think and how we believe and how we love and how we live. It impacts how we make decisions. It impacts everything. I pray that I would, in a greater way, and 
this church word in a greater way. And that's what this, this second sermon on first things first is about, is that we would understand that we were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that we would in this listen to this truth, believe this truth, obey this truth, and delight and treasure this truth. No subject is more relevant, more practical, more fundamental, even though it might seem so big and so heavy as though it's just way up there in the heavens. What we as a people, the people of God, need more than anything is a view of God that is right and that is functioning in our lives. A growing experiential knowledge of the true God. I'm not talking about just a bunch of facts that you could pass an exam on a theology test. But I'm talking about knowing Him. Knowing the living God and desiring this God and seeking Him. One of the mysteries that, that has been revealed in God's Word is that having found God, the true hungry saint can't step, stop seeking for more of Him. Having found the living God, they continue to seek after that living God for the rest of his life, and it grows and grows and grows. Trying to live life without the right understanding and experiential knowledge of God is like trying to build a house without understanding that you need a foundation and earth to lay that foundation on. It's like trying to build something in midair with the laws of gravity frustrating you at every step. We can't ignore God and think it won't cost, cost us. The problem is that we know a lot of things about God, and those things don't change us. We often live as Christian atheists, where we know all these things, but they don't have a practical impact, at least they don't seem to make a practical impact in so many Christians' lives, and that shouldn't be true. There are many ways of saying, who is God? What is God? The, the, in England, and hundreds of years ago, that in a catechism, it was asked, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. Well, this last week, I called you to this. I said, Faith Baptist Church, live upon the Word of God. This morning I'm going to say to you, here's my main point. We must anchor our lives and our joy in the pursuit of God and His glory. That is my, that is my burden in this message, is that we would see the importance. We would, all of us, would, no matter what, how, would you would you take as your life's quest from here on out if this hasn't been your quest? Because this is the quest of all of all human beings that we were meant, we were wired and meant to make as all Christians or disciples is we must anchor our lives and joy in the pursuit of God and His glory. We are to let me explain this for a minute, and then I want to give you reasons why we need to do this from Scripture. We need to anchor our lives. That's a metaphor. We need to anchor. We need to, it's, it's as though we are 
drifting. We are, we are being tugged and pushed with the currents and the storms of life. And we need to so have our lives anchored, solid, rooted deep so that we just don't get driven all over the place in our emotions, in our minds, or in our lives, in our behaviors, in our directions. We need our lives anchored by something so deep and so foundational and so rich. But I'm going to go beyond that, just our, not just our, our lives that we, in a, just a kind of a broad sense when we think of, of life, everything that's part of us. I, I want to take a specific aspect of it because that really shows what's at the very heart of where we are. We are, we are to anchor our joy. We're all wired to want to have joy. All of us do it. The reason why we turn a TV on, we, there is a side of us we want to be satisfied. We might come to church because we want to have joy. We might come to church because we, we get at least a little bit of joy out of here, or we might go to work because we want to pay for this, we want to do this. But we all are wired to pursue joy. God wired us that way. And we need to anchor our lives and our joy in this, in the quest or pursuit of God and His glory. A desire to know the living God. And, and when we start to get to know this living God, we will want to glorify Him. Just like the person that naturally loves something, if, if you're a book lover, if you love C.S. Lewis's books, you, wanna, you want others to know about how good an author he is, how they need to read his books, and you don't do it to get paid for it. You just love it, and you can't help yourself in telling others about it. You do that with anything you do. When you love something so much it consumes you, and it consumes your joy, you want others to enjoy in it. You want others to know how good it is. That's what glorifying God is. And so as we know this God, we can't help but let this God be known. That's what missions is. I love this God, and I want Him known to the nations of Africa and Asia, South America, and this country and across the world. Let's, this, this is a, not just a one-week goal. This is not just a one-week, okay, I got Sermon 2 of First Things First, and let's move on. This is, a, this is a quest in our lives. We must anchor our lives and our joy in the pursuit of God in His glory. And I, I would argue that as you come to really wrestle with this Proposition, this main point, you will come to see that this is some, one of the most comforting and found anchoring reality when you go through trials of life. If my joy, if my life is anchored in God and His glory, I can't lose. Because I am anchoring myself to the eternal God who is committed to glorifying Himself in this world forever. Thanks be to God. I want to give you five reasons why you need, why we need our lives and our joy needs to be anchored to a pursuit of God and His glory. Five things. Number one, because we're commanded to do it. 
that that should be enough. As God's people, as creatures created by God, if God tells us to do something, that should be enough. We have a command. We've got to do it. That should be enough. We don't, need to, we don't need any other reasons, any other motivators to appeal to us. We shouldn't need that. God commanded it. We should obey Him. And we should. God commanded it. So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31. We, we read it in this passage when, in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This is a call to anchor your life and your joy in me. And don't forget me. And, and let my laws be on your hearts always. So much so that it goes with you in every aspect of your life, with your family and your household. And don't forget, all of this is I blessed your socks off. I just amazingly came into your life. And I came into your life and I brought you out of the land of slavery. And I brought you out of the land of slavery to your sin through Jesus Christ, church. And I, and Jesus did this. And don't forget when you enjoy all the, the house that you did not buy, ultimately, the food that you did not make, when you enjoy all of the things, the gifts that you did not create, everything you have, because God says, what do you have that is not a gift? If it's not a gift, why do you act as though you did it? He says, you shall love me this way. It's a command. There's another way of saying it, and David said it in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And you should have the desires of your heart. We are commanded to delight in God. We are commanded to anchor our joy in God. Paul said it to the church in Philippians when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Ever, ever think about this? God tells us to be happy. Have you ever told your kid to be happy and it works? It hasn't worked for me. Hey, hey, Mary, be happy. And then she says, it doesn't work that way. You just, you don't flip a switch. But God tells us to be happy. He tells us to be happy in God, to be delight ourselves in Him, to rejoice in the Lord, to love Him with all our heart, to so glory. And whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. Number one, it's command. I thank God that He is so merciful, He is so patient, He is so kind that in His working, He doesn't just give us a command with no connection to other motivations. But over and over again, He shows how these things aren't just... Some, yes, someday when you go to heaven, you'll realize, why, real, realize that this is a good thing. But you will actually realize and you will see in this life how this is good. Number two... I want you to see that because the examples of the saints commend us. The reason, another reason why we need to anchor our lives and our joy in the pursuit of God and His glory is because we see this happening in the saints all throughout scriptures. It is a pattern that God's, what, what God or what deity in other religions is like our God, the only God, the true God, where not only is He a I made you, you need to do things to appease me, 
And if you appease me, I won't crush you. And I'll make this rainy season be this way, or I'll do this. You just appease me. No. Our God is a God that in the scriptures reveal that those that have come and touch with him and come to know him, they come to long for him. They anchor their souls, their lives, and their joy in God and his glory. I want you to just see many passages that I'm going to list. And by the way, we'll have the notes available for you. But in Psalm 42, 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. You say that, of God. I don't offer. Not enough. Or Psalm 84, 2, my soul longs. Yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy in the living God. Psalmist in Psalm 63, 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek after. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Thoughts of the church, it is my eager expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want you to see God's people hunger for God, and they want to know God, and they long for Him to be put on display. But number three, the third reason why we need to anchor our souls, our lives, and joy in this God and His glory is nature, the nature of God demands it. The nature of God demands it. We are creatures made by this God, sustained by this God, and designed by this God. He gets to decide what our design is. And so it's just natural that we as creatures should follow and do what God has said. In fact, it works this way. Jeremiah said it this, Be appalled, O heavens. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that held no water. He's saying, I am living water. I made you to enjoy that living water. The very nature of who I am is sustaining grace. Why would you go to something else to get life? And that is the lie of Satan that is contrary. Our desire, actually, for other things isn't natural. It is against nature, ultimately. God's nature of design, that God truly made us to enjoy Him and live upon Him. And I want to see that at the end here. But I want you to see also, simply and quickly, the passage I read in Romans 11, verse 36. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. That's a sermon in itself. We can sit here and just ponder. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. My life, your life exists because of him. My life teaches.
keeps going on through him, because of him. My life has been given a designated goal and design to him. The all things in praise. I am not my own. He made me, I'm for him. Therefore, we must anchor our joy in the pursuit of God and his glory. Number four. We need to do this. We need to anchor our hearts, our lives, our joy in this God, in his glory, because of God's covenant to us, compels us to this. Now, what I mean by that, God's covenant to us compels us to it, is I want you to think God uses language of covenant through the Old and New Testament to speak of God's relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, it was, we see God working in Israel. We see now here in this day, we are the church, and he made this new covenant with us. God in Christ has united us to be the new people of God, to enjoy him forever. And he has and he loved, we love him because he first loved up, loves us. First John 4, 9, 9 says, And this is love that was God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Number four, it's because God, God we need to live anchor because God made a promise, kept his promise in Jesus, and is committed to keeping that forever. Lastly, number five is because we were made for this. We were made for this anchoring in God's love, in God's glory. We were made for this, and we will only be satisfied in this. I want you to take this with you. If you, whether you believe it or not, many of you will say, I believe it, but I pray that we would all just start to experience it more. We will never truly find our true joy and satisfaction apart from pursuing it in God and His glory. We won't. We won't. Sin wants to keep us from it. Sin is on a suicide, is on a on a job to cause our hearts to pursue suicidal tendencies. And I don't mean just literal suicide, which he does. But what I mean is suicidal tendencies, meaning killing our, our own hearts towards what really will make us happy forever in God. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way in Mere Christianity. I wonder if you've ever read that classic on apologetics. This is what he said. The reason why it can never succeed is this. And what he means by this, finding any joy or happiness apart from God, it's this. God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on God. He himself is the fuel of our spirits. We were designed to burn for the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There's no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. That's, that's our God. And, and we are to daily and weekly come and say, God, 
I need you in this boat. I need you to, I need my joy and my life and my strength in you. I, I want to conclude this sermon with, with the how. How do we do this? Well, I hope that how is happening as we go through Colossians. We, we see through Colossians and through every book of the Bible how we must anchor to God and Jesus who transforms our, hung, our, our desires to become different desires. But I want, I want to conclude by taking an example in the Old Testament. And it's the example of David as he wrote Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a, a psalm that you all need to memorize. Every, every soul, at least, if you don't memorize, you at least become so familiar with it that your Bible is marked up and it's worn right to that psalm. It is so good. It is so sweet. Psalm 16 is a psalm, a mitzvah of David. I'm not sure what that means, but it's good. It's, I like what it means. Psalm 16, we find David crying out to God. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good beside you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, and in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You fill my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord always who gives me counsel. And the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore... My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In this passage, you see four things. Four ways that David says, I seek God. I seek to anchor my soul in God and His glory. Number one, you can see in this passage, you see him doing this. You see him running to God in desperate prayer. Church, if you take this out of it, just take this sermon. There's a lot of stuff here. and Hopefully, these first seven weeks are more of a lot, and then we're going to take a passage at a passage. But I want you to take this. Seek God. Anchor your soul in God by, number one, running to God in desperate prayer every day. Run to Him and say, God, I need you. That's how David does it. He says it this way, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. God, I so, I so need you. He, he, he says, God, I, I need you to come, and you need you to help preserve me, or I'm going to fall apart. Have, have you been that, in that place? Are you in that place this morning? You're about to fall apart unless God preserves you. At least you feel that way emotionally. You might feel that way spiritually. David anchors his soul in God and his joy in God when he says, I run to you because you're my only joy. You're the true joy. You're my true good. Number two, he embraces godly community. I remember reading this psalm over and over again. And I thought, why, why does he have this verse in here? He says, as for the saints in the land, 
the other God followers in Israel, they are the beautiful, wonderful ones in whom is all I delight. David's saying, he's reflecting on a time that he's gone through really hardships. And frankly, our lives are a, a beeline to glory with a lot of hard stuff in it. In this world, in this fallen world. And he says, the saints that are around me, they have surrounded me and they have encouraged me. I love worshiping them, worshiping God with them. I love them. When I go through trials, I think of them and I can't help but say they are a delight to me. Guys, we need to go after God, but we can't go after God by ourselves. We need to do it together. We need to do it to build each other up. That's why we need to be here on Sunday mornings. We don't grow to know God and love Him by ourselves. We do it as the church. Number three, by rejecting false securities. I am so wired to find security in everything that's not secure. And so are you, if it's not God. And we, for, there's, there's a... And it's hardwired from the fall of Adam. We are hardwired to to pray last and go after other things first, and then we pray as last resort, to to worry about everything else, try to solve it in our own strength, or find security in money, or find security in family, or find security in what people think of us, find security in all these things. We try to control our own world. We think relationships can fulfill us, or money brings us freedom, or pleasure will satisfy or knowledge will bring me to the top, or even just some spirituality will save me, or that if I'm really healthy and I try to do all these things, workout programs, I'll, people will like me and I'll be healthy for much longer and I'll have security. David says, he says, the sorrows of those who run after other gods. What's a god? Anything we are putting our security in that's not God. Anything that we're not putting our security in. And David learned that over time, that my security is in God alone. I have to go to God for my security. And so I need that so bad because I'm wired to just run after and worry and panic on other things. But a soul that is anchored in his life in joy, in his life and joy in God and God alone, he finds security and strength still pain, but there's a security that keeps him from shaking. Lastly, by meditating on God's person and provision. You can see it throughout the Psalms, but he says it in this Psalm. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. That is a soul That is a person, that is a church that anchors his life and his joy in God and his glory. I set the Lord always before me. I want to honor God. I want to seek him. I remember he's made promises to me. He said, he's my shepherd. I shall not want. He's he's said in his word to all of us, and I shared with Matt this morning, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. 
I have set that God before me. So when I face this doctor's visit, when I face this task at work this week, when I face this situation with my family and with my spouse or with my children or with this situation, I set it before me because he is my God and I want to get to I want to know him and I'm about him and I that he's the only way. Because what David reveals in this psalm, and we, we don't have time to get into that, he reveals two things. That God is my security and he's my satisfaction. Those are two really important things for us. He is my security and my satisfaction. He is my security, keeps me, and he gives me joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to conclude with this practical application in my own life. Over the last two and a half years, I, before I came here, I was a president of a, a struggling Bible college that I was connected to all my life because of my grandfather who founded. Most of you know that, at least a little bit about it. And we came there, and naysayers, and probably rightfully so, said that we were going to close immediately. And we were in the process of seeing if we could continue the college and keep it going. And we went through a process year, month by month, for almost two years of uncertainty of whether everything was going to come crashing down and we would have to lay everybody off and we could be in a very difficult situation. And I remember in, fall, in, the sp- in spring of 2014, May 2014, we were on the brink of a situation where we thought we were done. It turns out that God gave us one more very fruitful year. In fact, the year that Wes was able to graduate and many others. And we were able to finish really well, I believe, by God's grace. But I remember in May of 2014 feeling anxiety and securities and struggles coming into my life. And I knew that I needed to anchor strongly to truth during this time because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I wrote down, I remember sitting in my office one day in early May, it was around graduation, I wrote down 14 resolutions. And the first resolution, and these were resolutions that I had to put before my mind and my heart every day because if I lose them, if if I do not set them before me, I'm a mess. And my very first one was, I will... Pursue my joy in God and His glory, no matter the circumstance. Whether we stay open or close, whether this is victorious or failing, I will pursue my joy in God and His glory. I'll tell you what, over those that year, over and over again, as I read that, it grounded me and said, I can't lose with this resolution. It doesn't matter the outcome, ultimately. I, I, I want to be faithful. I will pursue my joy in God, in God alone. He, he brings the results. But I can do this. I can, because if, if, if something is not successful that I'm pursuing, and I am pursuing to honor Him in it, He's going to get glory out of it not working out. I don't know how he'll choose to do it, but he's going to do it. But I trust he can do it because I've committed my way to him. And if he succeeds, if he brings success, I say, God, you did it. You get the credit. You get the glory. And my soul is anchored. Anchored in that. 
And I, I thank God for that. That's just one. I only say that not to puff myself up, to say, I'm, I'm so needy. I need those reminders. And so do many of you to anchor our souls and our lives in God and His Word. Let's pray. Oh God, we can't do that apart from Jesus Christ who comes and rescues us from our sin. And so I pray this now that Jesus would be glorified. The God that is revealed even by David is the God that is revealed Jesus Christ who is our God whose flesh did not see corruption but was raised from the dead for our justification so that we could have life. Oh God, as we conclude this time, offer up our song, one more song to you and give our gifts to you. Oh God, I pray that we would anchor our joy. I pray that even as we sing holy, 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 we would sing it with a and I want to know your holiness. I want your holiness to overwhelm my life and my joy and my pursuit for everything. God, would you do that? And as we offer up our offerings and our gifts, we would say, I want, this is a pursuit of joy in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and adore our God for his holiness, his otherness, his greatness.